You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. If you have your Bibles or you want to use the one in front of you in the pews there, uh, if you would open up to Revelation chapter 19 this morning. Uh, We're going to be in verses 11 to 21 this morning, Revelation chapter 19. Uh, We're going to read that in a couple minutes, so as you're turning there, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father God, we thank you and praise you for today, Lord, and all that uh, you give to us, Lord. Jesus, today we talk about your return. But we also talk about the battle of Armageddon. So, Father, we come and, Holy Spirit, I need your words, I need your truth, and we need your guidance. I pray that you would meet us where we are, that you would teach us, that you would equip us, but that you would strengthen us and encourage us as well. We give this to you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Yeah, it's pretty good. Good to see you all uh, this morning. Good to be back with you all today. Uh, Thanks to Tom for filling in for me last week. And from what I heard, Tom threw me under the bus uh, last week. Uh, I think Tom told you all that I gave him the hard stuff to talk about. Did he say that? Uh, That I gave him the hard stuff to talk about, which is true. I told him that uh, because I'd much rather talk about the first half of the tribulation than the second half. But I did give him the option to preach on that or something else, but uh, he also told you last week that I would have the good stuff to talk about, not just the gloom and doom stuff, right? Uh, He said that, and I don't know how accurate that is, uh, because we have to start off with a picture. Zach, we're going to a picture really quick, all right? Uh, This is a picture uh, that was sent to me uh, this week. Uh, it is, uh, there's a bit of a glare on it. It's pumpkin pie ice cream sandwiches. Uh, it has begun, uh, the pumpkin pie stuff. Uh, notice that it is Wegmans. I can't believe my for- former employers sell these type of atrocities. Uh, but I don't know how much good news I have when these things are being sold. Uh, but uh, we do have some good news this morning, uh, but some uh, other stuff that's not as pleasant as well. But uh, anyways, I thought I'd show that to you because it was sent to me and I like to share. But we have been talking about uh, what is going to happen next. That's the name of the current series that we're in. It'll end the end of this month. Uh, we have a brand new series that starts the first Sunday in September. Uh, I will tell you what that is maybe next week or the week after, uh, but be in prayer for it. Uh, we'll be in there for a while. But we've been talking about what happens next when speaking of the end times. And we're trying not to get into the weeds with everything, but just to have a working understanding of what is going to take place. And in that, we have talked about a lot of hard things. We have seen some things that are not going to be easy. We have seen some things, talked about things that are very difficult and painful. Not just when they happen in the future, but even now just to discuss them and know what is going to happen. But in all of that pain and the darkness and that we have been seeing and talking about, there is good news. And that's why I wore this shirt today, right? 
Uh, I would ask you what color this shirt is, but I'm pretty sure Joe would come off with a color like green or blue or something like that. I never know what y'all are going to say, right? And so this shirt is black. If you're doubting me, uh, see me see, some of you are like, no, that's not black. It is black. Trust me, it is black. And then the lines are silver. If you want to use gray, I'll let that slide. But the shirt is black, right? Nowhere on this shirt do you find green or blue or yellow or red. Are you with me on that? Can you handle this so far? But the reason I wore this shirt is in one location on this shirt, I can't move too much, I'll mess up the microphone and the sound booth will be mad at me. But right in this area, I have one red strand. I don't know why it's red, but it's a red strand. I don't know why. There's no red. Anyway, it might be pink. We're not going to get it. We're, we'll say reddish pink. There's no reddish pink anywhere on this shirt. And it bothers me to no end to know when I wear, I'm wearing this black shirt with the silver stripes on it that there's a red strand, right? And I know what all of you are thinking. The pastor has gone for one week on vacation and he's come back and he's lost his mind. After this past week, it's a quite possibility. But how many of you have ever heard the phrase or used the phrase, the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, see? You got it. How many of you have ever heard of or used this phrase? The silver lining of things. That's why I wore this shirt. You see, this morning we get to see the silver lining, the little thread that is in the darkness of all of it. See, just like this red strand stands out in a dark shirt, there is a silver lining among all the darkness that we have seen so far in this series. Now, it's not all a silver lining this morning. There is still more darkness and a heaviness and a pain to what we see in the coming of Jesus. But there is a silver lining there. And I need you to stay with me because it applies to you today and every day of your life. And so with that said, I have two things for you this morning. And you can find on the bulletin. Uh, we have the return and we have the battle. And so uh, let's get this disgustingness off the screen and we go to the return. The return. The return of Jesus. We have covered a lot in this series. We have gone, as we, have we gone as deep as we could? Absolutely not. And I've been up front with you. I, we're not getting into all the weeds and all the things that we could have. But we have seen a lot. We have talked about the rapture of the church. That that is the next event to happen when it comes to end times things. That Jesus is going to come back for his church and the church is going to be taken up or caught up into the sky to meet Jesus. We have talked about the tribulation period. We've talked about the seven seal judgments. We've talked about the seven uh, trumpet judgments. We've talked about the seven bowl judgments. Tom did that last week. We've talked about that. We've talked about the pain and the hardships that are going to come to mankind and the things that are going to happen to the earth, like earthquakes and hailstorms and things along those lines. We've talked about that. We've talked about the role that Satan is going to play in the end times. We've talked about how Satan gets cast out of heaven, that he no longer is able to go between heaven and earth, and that during the tribulation period that Satan is stuck here on the earth, and he is filled with a rage and an anger and a fierceness, a fireness within him, and he's going to cast out his wrath as well. We've talked about the Antichrist, of who he is, and where he's going to come from, what he's going to be like. 
We have seen that he's going to come to power through peacefulness and politics. But then about three and a half years into the tribulation period, he's going to show his true colors and he's going to attack and make war against the Jews and against Christians. We have seen in our study that over 50% of the world's population is going to die in three and a half years. We have seen that people are worshiping the Antichrist and Satan. We didn't talk about this, but we know that the mark of the beast is going to be there. And if you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the Antichrist, we saw the people of the world going, who is like him? Who can make war against the Antichrist? And they're following him and worshiping him like he is a god. We have seen a lot of bloodshed and a lot of things happening to the earth. And it is all heavy to take in. There is a difficulty in all of it. But what we have seen from the darkness to the pain to the confusion is not the end of the story. There's still more. You see, in that darkness, there is a silver lining. And what that lining is, is this. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back. Back to this earth and step foot on this earth. And I pray that that gets you excited. I pray that that wells up something good within you because it ought to. It should. That Jesus is going to come back. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Once again, I'm not going to get into everything with you this morning because if I did, it would take me 35 minutes to set up this message. And I'm not going to do that this morning. But there is a picture I want you to get right now. We're at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. So hopefully you got that. We've walked through all of it. And we're at the end of the seven years, getting close to the seven years. But what is happening on the earth is this, and there's different thoughts to this, of course, which makes it harder to get down deeper. But I want you to picture this. Maybe, perhaps, you have heard over the course of your lifetime an elected official promise something that they would do when they'd get into office. Have you ever heard that before, right? All of us, right? How many times do they do what they say they're going to do? Let's just say zero, right? For argument's sake, we'll say zero, right? And I know the argument, well, they can't do everything. They have Congress and the Senate that has to agree. I got all of that, right? Let's just keep it broad, right? So you know that, right? What president was it that said, I will not raise taxes, and then when they became president, they raised taxes? I forget. This is going back when I was a teenager, right? So you all know that picture, right? Some of you have voted for somebody because of the promises that they made and they never fulfilled those promises. How did you feel? Kind of upset, right? Now what if you voted for somebody on the promises that they made and they did the exact opposite? Not that they did nothing, but that they did the exact opposite of what they promised to do. Would you be upset? Yeah, we all would be. There seems to be that type of mentality when it comes to the Antichrist towards the end of the seven-year period that we call the tribulation period. Remember, the Antichrist is going to come in and he's going to come in proclaiming peace and trying to get peace together and being a man that has all the answers to what happened with the rapture? What are we going to do with this? And how do we do this? And how do we do that? And so he's coming to power making all of these good promises, if you would. But then about two years in, as you get in past the midpoint of the tribulation period, everybody in the world starting to realize, going, he said peace, but all he's doing is making war. He said he had the answers for this, and he, he really doesn't. 
And so if you were to do a study of the Scriptures, an in-depth study, some make the argument that some of the nations of the world towards the end of the tribulation period are actually going to start to turn on the Antichrist. It doesn't mean that they're going to start to worship Jesus. They're just done with the Antichrist because he's not fulfilling on what he promised to do. And so what we have here is this, that towards the end of the tribulation period, some nations might actually start to attack the Antichrist. But it's actually the working of the Lord. I want you to see two verses as we set this up this morning. Revelation chapter 16, verse 16, we read this. Then they gathered the kings together in the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The they there is the Antichrist and the false prophet. They're gathering all the kings of the world into the valley of, the, of Megiddo, Armageddon, which we'll talk about. And they're bringing them all together, ultimately to fight against Jesus. Right? We're told that. But what is starting to take place is the battle of Armageddon, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes. But as these armies are starting to gather for that, but when you take other scriptures, it seems that some of these armies that are gathering here want to attack the Antichrist. And so I want you to picture all these armies, all these troops converging in and around Jerusalem. Can you do that in your mind? Just start picturing all these different armies from all over the place starting to come into the Middle East, right? For whatever reason, but they're starting to come there. Ultimately, they're going to attack Jesus. But they're all there for hundreds of miles. But then I want you to notice something else. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2. If you want to know chapters 12, 13, and 14 speak to the end times of Zechariah. We read this. I, that is God, will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. What does God just say there? God goes, I'm going to bring all the nations together in Jerusalem to fight against it. So God ultimately is orchestrating all of these things for all these armies to come into Jerusalem. We'll just say not just Jerusalem, but the Middle East, that region that you know of, of that we find in the Bible. They're all coming there. Some may think they're going to fight the Antichrist. <clears throat> the Antichrist knows that they're all going to end up fighting Jesus. And it's God overruling and orchestrating this so that everybody is there to fight against Jesus. And so while all that is coming together, something truly amazing happens. And what that is, is this. Jesus comes back. And I find that exciting. Jesus told us that he would come back, didn't he? All throughout the Gospels, where Jesus tells us he's going to come back. Like, what a day. I cannot wait to see the return of Jesus. And you may go, Pastor, what do you mean you're going to return to see, the, see Jesus? Aren't you going to be God in the rapture? Yeah, I'm going to be God in the rapture if it happens. I'm but what do you mean you're going to see it? Hold that thought, because if you're in Christ, you're going to see the second coming of Jesus as well. You just have to hold on for a couple minutes. So let's read. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. It's not on the screen, so hopefully you got your Bible. John tells us this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. 
He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the return of Jesus. That's the second coming of Jesus. That as this battle that you and I know of, the battle of Armageddon, is starting to come together, starting to take place, Jesus comes down out of the heavens and He comes back. But why? Why does Jesus come back? How does Jesus come back? Well, those are great questions. I'm glad you asked. Jesus is going to come back the same way He left. Right? Acts chapter 1, verse 11. I'll paint the picture for you if you don't know. Jesus is ascending. You know what ascending is? Going up, right? You're ascending, right? So Jesus is ascending, right? The resurrection has happened. He's been on the earth for about 40 days, meeting with his disciples on and off. And so all of a sudden, the disciples are there. They're on the Mount of Olives, and they see Jesus leave. Jesus ascends. This morning, going through my notes, I had this picture in my mind. Some of you won't know this, but if you've seen the movie The Lorax, right? my kids love the movie The Lorax, the Lorax just kind of floats up into the sky and he disappears. Right? That's what Jesus does. He ascended up into the clouds. And the angel that was there, because the disciples, imagine 12 guys just standing around not knowing what is taking place. What do they usually look like? They have no clue. So God, out of His grace, What's an angel there to tell them what's happening? So the disciples are watching Jesus go. They're standing there. They're watching. And the disciple goes, what are you doing? He's going to come back the same way he left. So what we're told is that Jesus is going to return the same way that he left. Well, how did he leave? Well, he, first he left visibly. That you're able to see Jesus leave Therefore, you're going to be able to see Jesus come back visibly. And in the world of Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and anything else that's doing an event in between now and then, don't you think somebody with a phone is going to capture that video and it's going to go viral and everybody throughout the world is going to be able to see Jesus coming back just by holding a phone in their hand? Jesus is going to return visibly. Not only that, Jesus left physically. It was actually His physical body that ascended. Which tells us that it's going to be Jesus physically descending, coming back to the earth. That it's not a hologram. That it's not a stand-in. It's not a double. it's It's not something fake. It's Jesus physically coming back to the earth because He physically left the earth like that. And so, Jesus is going to come back visibly and physically. But also this. Jesus is going to come back to the Mount of Olives. How do we know that? Because He left from the Mount of Olives. He ascended from the top of the Mount of Olives. And so He's going to come back the way He left. And so He's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. And He's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives. And you're like, well, Pastor, do you have Scripture for that? Well, I'm glad you asked because yes, I do. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3. says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. What did we see in verse 2? God's bringing all these nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. And then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. On that day, His, who's His? That's the Lord. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, 
forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. Jesus is going to come and he's going to land on the Mount of Olives and probably the earthquake that Tom probably mentioned to you last week is going to split the Mount of Olives and it's going to move. It's going to be split. Jesus is coming back visibly, physically, and to the Mount of Olives. Just like he left. Just like he, he left that day. Now remember... This second coming of Jesus is different than the rapture of the church. We talked about it the other week. At the rapture, Jesus doesn't step foot on this earth, but at his second coming, he does. At the rapture, Jesus comes for his church. As you're going to see in a moment, his church comes with him at the second coming. There's no judgment at the rapture. As you're going to see in a few moments, there's judgment all about this. There's no prophecies that have to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church to take place. But all the prophecies of the end time have to take place before Jesus comes the second time. We've talked about this. Now here's the thing. Everyone always pictures Jesus as baby Jesus, meek and mild. A sweet man who healed people all the time and so loving and filled with grace and all of that. Like, oh, so nice, Jesus. While that is true, that is not how Jesus is coming back. Some of you miss this aspect of Jesus because you're making Jesus in your own mind. And that's idolatry. You have to understand and see this side of Jesus. Jesus, at His second coming, is not coming back to heal and comfort and strengthen. He is coming back to be judge, jury, and executioner. You have to understand that. Well, that doesn't, I don't like that, Pastor. That doesn't sit well with me, Pastor. I'm sorry, but it's true. I don't like the last time I looked at the Yankees are last place in their division. But just because I don't like something doesn't mean that it's not true. And you and I live in a culture, and the culture tells us if you don't like it, therefore it's not true. That's not reality, that's fantasy. The truth hurts at times. Truth goes against what we like. Jesus is going to come back the second time to make war and hand out judgment. Look at the scriptures. I read to you Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Jesus comes on a white horse. What did Jesus enter Jerusalem in? What? Donkey. First time he came, donkey, right? For Passover, donkey, symbol of peace. A horse, not a symbol of peace. A horse was a symbol of war. If a general rode into your city on a horse, things weren't going to go well. And because it's white, it symbolizes that the rider has authority, that he is a king, because the kings wore, rode the white horses. And so Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's coming back to this earth, not on a donkey like he did entering into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, for peace and to make peace and to redeem people. He's coming for war. We read that with justice. He judges and makes war. Where it says makes war, it's more literal, goes to war. Jesus is coming back to go to war, to fight. This is why He comes. To judge and to make war. But that's not nice of Jesus. Not nice of Jesus to come and make war. Yes, it is. 
Because it's justice. Justice is good. You would want justice if somebody wronged you. It's justice. That's why John tells us he's just. He's coming with justice. You see, you and I, we can argue about this war or that war and say that it's an unjust war. We could do it with any war that has ever happened or any war that will happen. And you could have both sides. It's not a just war. But when it comes to the second coming of Jesus, it will be a just war. Because why? John tells us that the writer, Jesus, is faithful and he is true. That he knows all the truth. He knows everything. He knows the thoughts. He knows the motives. He knows absolutely everything. And because of that, he can act in perfect justice. And he will hand out justice. He knows everything. Why? Because John tells us when Jesus is coming, his eyes are like blazing fire. Does that mean Jesus is going to be riding down on a horse? And it may not be a horse. It may just be symbolism. But I'm hoping it's a horse. And I'll tell you why in a couple minutes. But John tells his eyes are like blazing fire. Does that mean Jesus is going to come down? And as he's coming down from the heaven, he's going to have fire shooting out of his eyes? That would be truly amazing to see. But that's not what it's talking about. That symbolism meaning that nothing gets past the gaze of Jesus. That nothing is hidden from Him. He knows everything. And then we're told that Jesus comes back with many crowns. And the word crowns there is the word diadem. It's the royal crown. And many speaks to having authority. A lot of authority. I'll give you this picture. In the ancient world, when one king would go fight another nation and he was victorious, he would go to, we'll, we'll say headquarters, for lack of a better term, or the, the, the palace, if you would. And he would take the crown, if that nation's ruler had a crown, he would take their crown and put it on top of his head. And there's actually in history, archaeological evidence of kings actually wearing uh, the enemy's crown and then putting the crown of his own kingdom on top. And so he would have two crowns. And it shows that I'm in charge here. I have the authority here. And so when Jesus is coming back with many crowns, it is a picture telling us that Jesus has full authority, complete authority, because he is the one with the crown on. He's the one in charge. He has all authority. All of it. And then we're told this. He'll have a name written on him that no one knows. Please understand that, that no one knows this name. If you ever come across somebody that goes, hey, you know that name of Jesus in Revelation chapter 19 that nobody knows? I know it. I had a vision of it. God told me what that name is. If you ever have anybody tell you that, just turn around and walk away. Don't listen to them. Because Scripture tells us that no one knows this name. And if somebody does know that name, then God is a liar because His Word just told us that nobody knows His name. And it tells us that we're, there's always going to be something that we don't know about God. We're always going to be learning about the Lord, even in heaven. But then we see Jesus coming back that His robe is dipped in blood. I told you, this is a lot different than meek and mild baby Jesus who heals everybody, isn't it? His robe is dipped in blood. And you go, well, whose blood is that? Well, it depends on the scholar. I told you, you can get so deep in all this. Something, it's the blood of the cross. Something is blood from previous battles that Jesus has been in. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, so I'm not going to speculate. We are told that His name will be the Word of God. We think, well, that doesn't sound right. Have you ever read John chapter 1? 
In John chapter 1, John tells us that Jesus is, His name is the Word, the Logos. Jesus is the Word of God. It's His name. It's one of His many, many names. Verse 14 tells us the armies of heaven are following Him dressed in white linen. Who are the armies of heaven? Come on, you've got to take a guess. I'll wait. Okay, ready? Let's do it this way, because some of you are like, I don't know, I don't want to answer, right? I'll give you, I'll give you A, A or B, right? Army, so all you have to do is say A or B. Can you handle that? Okay, good. Armies of heaven. Angels or the church? So angels would be A, the church would be B. Who do you think it is? B. Oh, church. I thought more of you would say angels. You're partly right because it's a mix of both. Okay? It's most likely a mix of both. But if it's going to be the church that is taken in the rapture and angels. All right? I want you to get this and understand this. If you're taken in the rapture, you're coming back with Jesus at the second coming. And I told you that hopefully, when it says Jesus is riding a horse, I said hopefully it actually is a horse, it isn't just speaking to something else. Because I'm not a fan of horseback riding, but at this time, I'll be dead and have a much better body, right? I think it would be quite fantastic and cool to ride a horse out of heaven down to earth. I think that would be pretty fun. Uh, I don't know if that's what is going to happen, but we have some type of symbolism that speaks to it, right? So if we're coming back with Jesus, does that mean we have to fight in the battle of Armageddon? Well, hold that thought. John then tells us that out of the mouth of Jesus comes a sharp sword. Does that mean Jesus coming out, coming down, His second coming, and He's going to have a really long sword coming out of His mouth? That's not what it speaks to. Scripture tells us that the Word of God is our sword. It is symbolism to speak to the power and the authority of the Word of God, the Word of Jesus. Scripture tells us that God created everything by Word. And that's how powerful His Word is. And you go back to the all that discourse in the Gospels that we spent some time in in Sunday school at Mark. You read that, and it seems that when Jesus comes back, the sun and the moon and the stars are kind of going to be turned off, that something's going to happen to them. Jesus is going to come back in full glory. That's how he comes back. That's how he's coming back. But why would he come back? Why would Jesus come back to this place? I don't know. I don't know if I would. And you would probably feel the same way. And maybe that's why He's God and you're not. But Jesus is going to come back because He's faithful. He promised He was going to come back. Some of you right now are in a part, in a spot in your life that maybe you don't think God is faithful. Because the way life is going for you, maybe because the way life is going for somebody else, that maybe God is no longer faithful, that He's forgotten about you. He, he, he hasn't. He hasn't forgotten about you, I promise you. God is faithful. He's not going to leave you. He's never going to leave you. You read that in the book of Hebrews and you get into the literal Greek, it says, not now, no, never will I leave you. He's not going to go anywhere. Jesus is going to come back because He said He was going to and He's faithful and He's true and we could trust Him because of that. But Jesus is also going to come back to set up His kingdom. Jesus is going to set up an earthly kingdom that you're going to be part of if you're in Christ. Well, what is that kingdom? Well, join us in two weeks and I'll tell you what that is.
but he's going to set up his kingdom. But Jesus also comes back to pass judgment. I told you a couple minutes ago that when the rapture happens, there's no judgment handed out. But at the second coming of Jesus, it's filled with judgment. Do so you want to know why? You want to know what happens when Jesus returns? It's the battle. It's the battle of Armageddon. How many of you ever heard of the battle of Armageddon? Good, I knew you did. The battle of Armageddon is a phrase that is used inside a church, outside a church, movies and shows. Generals have used it. Politicians have used it. Left and right, it is the battle of Armageddon. Unfortunately, that name is a bit misleading. And I'll explain to you why. First off, the battle does not take place in Armageddon. I'll show that to you in a moment. The Battle of Armageddon, Armageddon is called the Valley of Megiddo. It has a couple different names in Bible, in the scriptures, but it's, actual, it's an actual real place. Okay? You can Google this and get a whole lot of other, just Google Valley of Megiddo. You'll come across all different things. Ready? That's the ruins of an old city called Megiddo, but you see all the, the green... Those of you online can't see the fancy-dancy red dot. That's bonus you get for when you come. That's all the Valley of Megiddo. Now, you and I, we live in the Wyoming Valley. Tiny. Valley of Megiddo, eh, not so tiny. It is quite large. It is very large. It has had numerous battles at it. How many of you know Napoleon? You know the short guy that's always pictured with his hand in his coat, right? That guy? When Napoleon saw the Valley of Megiddo, he said this is the most um, perfect place for a battle that is naturally made. You know what is on the Valley of Megiddo? On one of the ranges? It's a little town called Nazareth. Do you know who grew up in Nazareth? Jesus. When Jesus was growing up, he could look out and see the Valley of Megiddo and know that he was going to come back to that place one day for judgment. It is a real place. But the reason I say that the battle does not happen there is this. If we go back to Revelation chapter 16, verse 16, once again we read this, then they gathered the kings together in the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Notice it tells us, all the armies gather there. Not telling us that they're fighting there. The fighting is going to be all over the place for miles and miles and miles. Megiddo is roughly 60 miles from Jerusalem. Part of it is. And so there's going to be armies and fightings all over the place. So they're gathering there. And then, they're going to, then Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to end absolutely everything. So what happens? Well, let's find out. So I want you to picture, told you the army is in and around Jerusalem and that area, and now I want you to picture Jesus coming out of the sky. You with me? We're all about the pictures in our minds this morning, right? You got those two pictures? While Jesus is coming out of the sky, I want you to now picture this. Revelation chapter 19, verses 17 to 18. John says, and I saw an angel standing in the sun. Not actually standing in the sun, but just gives that, that illusion, if you would. Who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, 
Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. Hallelujah, let's go for lunch. Kind of a little gross and disgusting, isn't it? It says, Jesus is coming down. The battle of Armageddon, there's a good chance there's been smaller battles already taking place. The battle of Armageddon, some scholars will say it's not one battle, but there's many battles that are making up that war, if you want to use that picture. So Jesus is descending. There's an angel in the sky, right? And he makes a loud cry. And who he's talking to? He's not talking to people. He's talking to the birds. You want to know one of the locations that has the largest bird migration that passes through it every year? Jerusalem. This angel calls for all the birds to come. Why? You all need to come because you're going to eat. What are you going to eat? Bird seed? No. Fish? No. You're going to eat the dead humans and their horses. It's not all great news. I'm going to leave it up to you why they need the birds to eat. Everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to die. He calls the birds to come and eat. And so what happens next? Well, let me read it to you. Verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So what's going to happen? The angel is going to call, like Jesus is coming back. The angel calls for the birds to come and get ready because they're going to have a buffet. And then the Antichrist, the beast, and his false prophet, they are captured and they are thrown in the burning lake of sulfur. You go, what is that place? We'll talk about that again in another week or so. But for right now, just think of hell. Okay? We're going to unpack that a little bit more. But they're thrown into hell for this morning's sake. Alright? So what happens next? Well, let's read. Verse 21. The rest of them. Who's the them? Them are all the people. All the armies that are numbering in the hundreds of millions. All those people, the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Everyone who has rejected Jesus and sided with the Antichrist gets put to death. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of Jesus. And once again, just to remind you, that is not talking about a little sword coming out of His mouth. It is speaking to the power of His name, His word, His speech. That's the battle of Armageddon. That's what happens when Jesus comes back. It is glorious for those who have put their faith in Jesus but it is a judgment for those who have not. You see, the name, the battle of Armageddon is a little bit misleading. 
is misleading because of this. There's actually no battle. It's like you stepping on an ant. There's not a battle here. Jesus just speaks and He ends everything. And people go, well, well, since we're coming back with Jesus, does that mean we're going to fight in this battle? Are we going to be like... Are we going to get on the earth and we're going to like run after these people to put them to death and when they're shooting at us, the bullets are going to go through us and then our bodies are just going to like heal right over it like it does in the movies? Like, no. Go back a couple verses. When we're coming with Jesus, what does it say? We're coming in white linen cloths. How many people have you ever seen go out to battle in white linen cloths? Nobody. No armor, no weapons. You're just coming to watch. We're not going to fight. There's not going to need to be fighting because we're going to be back here. Jesus is going to be in front and he's going to say something and everybody's going to die. That's it. He puts everyone to death with a word. Everyone dies and the birds eat. Gorge themselves on the millions and millions of people that are there. Jesus comes back as he said he would to pass judgment. And he does but also to set up his kingdom, as you'll see in a couple weeks. So that's the silver lining. In all the pain and all the darkness, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to pass judgment. And the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. And it will last maybe 10 seconds. But here's the question I have for you this morning. How does what we just looked at impact you today? How does what we looked at today impact you tomorrow? and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday. What do you do with what we looked at this morning when, it, when work calls and says, don't come in, you no longer have a job? How does this impact you when the doctor calls you and gives you the bad news? How does this impact you when you're, you look at your spouse and they go, I don't think this is going to work anymore? What do, you, what do we do with this? How does this impact our lives? What we do with this is this. Your story is not over. Things are not over. Because of Jesus. Because He is the author. We have walked through the tribulation period. And we have seen and talked about all the pain and all the hurt, the bloodshed, the confusion, the anger. And we have seen people in that spot going, what do we do? There's no hope. There's no future. There's no way out. There's nothing because of what is taking place. And you and I, we get in those spots in our lives today. Because of what is going on in our life right now, we go, there is no hope. There is no future. There's no way out of this darkness. There's no way out of this pain and this hurt. There's no way out of this light situation. And that is not true. There is a silver lining among the darkness of your life. And that is Jesus. You see, the silver lining of your life is that Jesus is still God. That Jesus is still King. That Jesus is still the author. That Jesus is still writing your story. That He is still working in your life and the lives of others. That no matter the darkness that does come, He is writing a story with you and your life. And perhaps your life feels like the end times right now. 
from pain to exhaustion, maybe grief to fear, to questions of why and all the emotions that range in all of those things. Those are all real and we all wrestle with them at different times and in different ways in our lives. But things are not over because of the darkness. Jesus is there. The red strand among the darkness is Christ. The blood that He shed for you to die in your place, to pay your fine, to be your substitute. So that hopefully by your faith in Him, that He would give to you His righteousness and that you would avoid all the things that we have talked about throughout this series. And so that you could be redeemed and reconciled with the Father because of Jesus. There's a hope in that. There's life in that. That's the red strand that is in every darkness of our lives. If you were to read a good book, there will be chapters of darkness and hurt. It's only a chapter or two. Jesus does that. Jesus is the silver lining. Please be encouraged. I'm not saying life is going to be cupcakes and ice cream all the day long. You know that. What I am saying is that no matter the darkness that comes in your life, Jesus is still there. He's still in control. And He's still working out His will. Just like He is during the tribulation period. Jesus is faithful. He's not forgotten you. He has not left you. And as you focus on Christ in your darkness, your darkness is not as dark as you thought it was. Because you see the author of your story, of your life, of your future. Because Christ has redeemed you. And He's saved you for so much more. So what do we do with this today? What do we do with this tomorrow and the next day? Simply this. That in the darkness, know that Jesus is there. And He is coming. And He is going to make all things right. For those who have a faith in Him. That's the silver lining in any darkness that you ever find yourselves in. And we need to focus on that. Let us pray. Father God, we thank You and we praise You for today. Jesus, we thank You that You are coming back for Your people. You are coming back to pass judgment. You are coming back to set up Your kingdom and ultimately to usher in heaven. Jesus, I pray that You'd help us that when we enter into the darkness that this life throws at us, that we would cling to You Hold on to you. Pray that you would encourage us and let us know that you are there in all things. Let us not lose hope because you are our living hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.